0: Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbele and this is a continuation of the Biota Podcast. For more information on the Biota podcasts, check out org slash podcast. This is a special Biota Live being recorded on Saturday morning, November 7th, 2009, currently at 10, p- uh, 10 a.m. Pacific. And we're calling this... Uh, specifically because of the success of the Artificial Life Work Group. Now, for folks who tuned into the last live, Biota Live, with Mark Badeau, you'll be familiar with the stuff that Mark and I talked about, about setting up a a work group to tackle some of the important issues in artificial life, what we're calling the value problem, i.e. explaining the value of artificial life to an external observer, uh, but also issues that have arisen with regards to the industrial and academic use of artificial life how we can kind of grow the community get a better sense of the community and also outreach to the media which is something that we discussed in the uh, in the last biota live but has really built uh, up a following and some discussion through the work group that was created soon after uh, the the call with mark last time so we have uh, a number of people on the call i want to just introduce the first from uh, identified only as southern Indiana. Hello, caller. Oh hi Tom, it's Larry Yeager. Oh Larry, wonderful to have you on. Wonderful to have you on. We also have on Bruce Damer. Hi Bruce. Hi Larry. Hi Tom. Hi hello everyone. So Larry, I'm um, I'm assuming you heard the last uh to live with Mark Badeau and it's certainly a topic that we had discussed previously. What are your what are your current thoughts with regards to uh, the formation of the Artificial Life Work Group and what would you like to see come from the work group? Uh well um, I
1: just basically like the ideas that were put forward for the work group, the idea that this is uh, um, allowing uh, sort of a, a, a common resource available to the community, available to people interested in the community. It's nice to be able to point to a place and say, um, um, here's what we do, and here's what uh, what we contribute to science in general, and... Uh, And even just the listing of all the uh, academic units that have uh, good research programs in these things, I think is of value. There's a lot of interest in this area from students coming up, but what they sometimes have trouble finding is is, is a good place to pursue those interests. And so uh, this common resource
0: uh, for the community, I think, is a really good idea. Certainly. Well, we have Oliver in the chat room who joined the uh, Artificial Life Work Group but I believe Oliver's 17 and looking for artificial life-related study pubs and university in Canada, and I said that uh, certainly there are, there are a couple of universities in Canada that already had artificial life courses, but this, as you say, is just based on my own knowledge, and it would be wonderful to have a resource for people like Oliver in particular who were getting to that university age um, to, to you know, that so they could see, well, I can take some courses here or here's how I structure an artificial life um, focus degree. I mean, you must get this kind of correspondence all the time, Larry. I do get uh,
1: students from all over the world interested in in these topics, and um it's it's because they've happened to have stumbled across uh, across a web page somewhere. I mean, and I do you know maintain my own web page, and uh, I have uh, web pages through the university, uh, Indiana University. And uh, so, you know, it it can be found, uh, you know, we've got good, powerful search engines these days, but it's still nice to have a a more uniform resource uh, where you can look over the different opportunities uh, and, you know, a focused thematic resource as opposed to just a a random web search.
0: Certainly. As I I noted with the chat with Badeau, I found a university in Arizona that had just an artificial life course which looked more like a game development course but was being called an artificial life course. And I think the ability of the community to um, unify basically a definition because a large portion of the the initial problem is people may find uh, the site associated with artificial life but fitting it into a broader context about what artificial life is and also, with courses being taught that are kind of giving a diverging set of definitions associated with that, you teach artificial life courses larry how do you How do you start unifying a group of students come together with regards to what artificial life is? Well you know um,
1: for, I suppose the first thing I should say in response to that is that the one of the only tenets. Of the the current work group proposal is a standardization of of such things a standardization of the approach to education and what the field means i mean i I value a broader a broad picture of what the field means and a broad picture of what is available and then details of these different programs because i don 't think we it's it needs to be converged i don 't in fact, i think there 's a risk in trying to converge to one thing that we miss out on a lot of opportunities. I think we have researchers doing really interesting work in robotics. Um, We have uh, a person who's been working with me and contributing to the Polyworld uh, software is actually doing some minor tweaking of the Polyworld source code to try to look at evolving uh, natural language processing systems. Um, I'm trying to turn around and use the data that I've generated on evolving neural network architectures to study this relationship between structure and function of networks. They're just, there are a huge wide range of opportunities for this kind of evolutionary thinking applied to science that, um, I don't necessarily want to turn into a single vision.
0: No, I I have to agree with you. And certainly, I mean, this is the the, the statement you made when you were last on BioTalive and I certainly agree with that. I don't think the purpose of the work group is necessarily to create a uh, a focused definition of what artificial life is. I think initially the issue with regards to surveying is actually just taking in the, the breadth of possibilities. And if every... New right, artificial life. If new, every new artificial life course can give us new possibilities, then that needs to filter into every other course in some regard. I don't think this is going to be a narrow definitional thing at all. I, I don't think, personally, and I'm sure you're in agreement with this, artificial life can survive with a narrow definition. It needs to be inclusive, continually inclusive, as new things come along. Otherwise, the the whole momentum associated with artificial life so far will be lost. So I have to agree with you that I don't want to say... You know, this is artificial life. This is not through the the aims of the work group. The aims of the work group are saying, this is artificial life being taught. This is wonderful. Have you considered also these things as well? Look yeah, at this person over it. there that is doing this kind of stuff. The history of artificial life, I found this with Noble Ape. I'm not sure you have with Polyworld, but there was a time when Noble Ape wasn't considered an artificial life simulation through these very strict definitions of what artificial life was. And I've been welcomed in and included in the artificial life community, having started developing Noble Ape probably three or four years in. I think it was when I was invited to speak at Biota three was when I first felt really welcomed into the artificial life community. I've been developing Noble Eight for about four years by that time. So I'd hate to think people listening in were thinking this is a, a closing down of the term where, you know, knuckling down to try and get funding in for this very tight definition or, you know start teaching a very tight definition because that hasn't been the history of artificial life and it wouldn't be true to the term to start doing that at this stage. I think if anything what we're looking for is seeing the breadth of, of what is being taught currently and giving some assistance with regards to perhaps perhaps we will find artificial life courses which are very tightly taught and we'll give assistance to them to to be able to explore the scope and the breadth of the of the current field as it continues to develop because, I mean, we have Oliver in the chat room. You obviously have students coming through on a regular basis. The, the resources that we're trying to create here are really for the next generation of, of artificial life uh, developers, artificial life academics, to move the field even further. And this is what interests me with regards to the industry component as well, because when I set up the group, I I imagined that there would probably be about a two-third, one-third ratio of folks in academia versus folks in industry. And the industry group, I've I've contacted a dozen people this week uh, who I know use artificial life-related stuff, folks at Apple and Intel, folks in, in the pharmaceutical industry who I know use aspects of artificial life and what they do, And the movement of the industry folk in has been a little slower than I'd hoped. We have about 43 members on the work group currently, and it's growing quite well. Um, But with regards to the outreach to industry, this is still something we need to do uh, more heavily. So in terms of the students that you see coming through, you've mentioned this with regards to students that have gone into industry. How do you see the the balance with regards to teaching artificial life for uh, a student that will obviously go on and use it in industry Larry.
1: Well, um the way I teach artificial life in particular um is sort of developing a set of fundamental uh knowledge areas. Uh I I usually I use almost exclusively uh, seminal papers in information theory and uh neural networks, genetic algorithms, um and I I try to weave that all together into a picture that says, okay, this is an interesting way to study and understand living systems and ultimately even intelligent systems. Um, But I do, in fact, try to sort of – I I think it's essential the way I want to approach the the field to to, to bring in these important technology areas and areas of knowledge – that uh, I've had students uh, go on to um, MIT and tell me that th- this course was the, the best thing that they had in their undergraduate to prepare them for the the uh, graduate career they chose. So um, I think we can do really cool, interesting, fun things and, oh, by the way, learn a lot about
0: really important technology areas. Very true. Very true. We have a caller from New Mexico on the line. Hello, caller.
2: Hi, this is uh, Stephen Garin with uh, Redfish in the Santa Fe
0: Complex. Wonderful, Stephen. As this is your first time on BIOS Live, would you like to introduce yourself and your interest in artificial life?
2: Uh, yeah, thanks. for uh, yeah. I've been, um, let's see, I attend a BIOTA 3 in San Jose, maybe in 99, and a few uh, artificial life conferences in Los Angeles and Reed College. I uh, worked with um, BIOS Group, which was a commercial spin-out of the Santa Fe Institute. Uh, in the early 2000s uh, was in Stu Kaufman's uh, research group uh, looking at um, I would say next generation artificial life at, you know after evolutionary computation looking at more what Stu was calling autonomous agents uh, with kind of more metabolic approaches to artificial life hmm. looking at ideas in work and heat um, since that time we have a we have a nonprofit here in Santa Fe uh, called the Santa Fe complex it looks at uh, kind of the marriage between art, science, and technology. It's on the old campus of the Swarm, uh, where Chris Langton's uh, offices were. Um, so we have a... Where we, used to, uh, we used to repair the rail cars here in the turn of the century last year, so it's a, it's a cool little... uh kind of going here. And I teach agent-based modeling in the uh, Complex Systems Summer School up at Santa Fe Institute uh, during, the, uh, during the summers. And we apply this... So we apply agent modeling and visualization uh, for commercial clients... Uh, uh, and on the research side, we are still kind of pursuing uh, kind of new ideas of artificial life,
0: uh, as, you know, applications of artificial life. Very cool. Okay. For,
2: yeah, thanks for letting me uh, be here.
0: Cool. Not a problem. So, you were really on the, the cusp of this teaching for, for industry. I mean, would you like to, to talk about the kind of folk that you have come through and what they go on to do with their artificial life related uh, studies?
2: Uh, uh, What was the first part of the question?
0: So, I mean, part of the uh, work group was to create an outreach into industry. And I imagine that the people that you have coming through, uh, have many of them have uh, aspirations in industry and go on to pursue with some artificial life-related knowledge. Could you talk to some examples associated with that?
2: Right. So I think the early days uh, applying artificial life meant more kind of evolutionary computation. Uh, doing search and optimization for companies uh, and governments. Um, these days, we're looking at kind of how can we... Um, so I think uh, data visualization uh, is kind of is related, uh, not exactly um, a complete sweet spot with artificial life. Um, so I would be very interested, though, in uh, working on the work group of... Uh, uh, Kind of the value proposition to industry, and here's, here's how artificial life can be applied. You know, currently it's kind of more how can complexity or complex systems thinking be applied? Network dynamics, uh, you know, kind of graph theory, uh, agent-based modeling. I think, but the longer term, the real
0: potential is kind of bringing in ideas of artificial life. And in terms of the framing of 40 years of Conway's life coming up mm-hmm. next year. I mean, the Swarm Group obviously has some of its legacy to things like Conway's Life and obviously earlier cellular automata and the movement into agent-based modeling. Can you talk about the opportunities that 40 years of Conway's Life give to the stuff that you've done so far in terms of talking about how artificial life has impacted a wide variety of areas?
2: I think the two big things, uh, so so in the beginning is getting people to get, uh, it's a change in perspective that, you know, very small, simple rules can give rise to emergent patterns, uh, which you know, I think uh, Conway was, uh, is one of the best examples that we can show. Or a flocking model, uh, and that lets people change their focus when they're running organizations to to focus in on the interaction rules and, and less about uh, optimizing and telling people what to do, move, moving away from a command and control, and more of getting toward what is, getting the interaction rules in the organization right um, and, and recognizing uh emergence uh when it when it appears and and just getting a vocabulary uh going within the organization so i think that's one of the bigger uh one of the bigger contributions from conway
0: Certainly, certainly. And I also think, I mean, the length of time, 40 years, is, an a, a, is a good amount of time to actually show a level of maturity associated with these ideas. And I think in a historical perspective, it gives a great opportunity for people such as yourself, myself, obviously Larry, to talk about this and a greater kind of reflective perspective about how these things have impacted our own uh, professional development and where it has taken us. But we do have the uh, the benefit of Oliver on the line. Hello, Oliver. Uh, Hello, can you hear me? We can, we can. So we've been using you as an example in terms of someone who's looking for a a place to study in the very near future. How do you see artificial life and how would you like to to study artificial life in the future?
3: Well, um, currently uh, I'm I'm an artist and a developer here in New York City. And uh, uh, recently uh, I uh, read uh, Stephen Levy's book, Artificial Life, just on a whim. And it really opened my eyes to, uh, this new, this new field. And I, and I just thought it was, uh, an interesting, uh, opportunity to sort of explore, um, artificial life in an art context. So I started, I started reading a lot about, uh, artificial life, uh, uses in art, um, Mitchell uh, Whitelaw's book Meta Creation was uh, a key book in that, and um, Peter Bentley's uh, huge textbooks were also key in that. Um, anything by William La- William William Latham, uh, his book was also an interesting book on that. So um, for me, artificial life just seems to be uh, another avenue uh, for creative exploration and that's sort of uh, where I'm coming from at this point
0: I'm not sure in terms of the time frame which regards to your reading and, and where you are currently but do you see in terms of your, your prior uh, artistic history there is a long history of the uh, artificial life art community and certainly for the previous two Vita Prizes we had uh, judges on we haven't done for the most recent Vita Prize but do you have you discovered the artificial life art community in a, a similar time frame
3: Uh, yeah, I, I actually emailed John McCormick, uh, because I, I couldn't get a hold of his book. He uh, published a book in Australia about five years ago. Um, and, uh, I, I couldn't get a hold of it anywhere. So I just emailed him and, uh, uh, sort of talked to him about it. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there is, uh, um, definitely a community, um. Of artists that use uh, artificial life. And they seem, I mean, uh, John McCormack seemed very friendly, you know.
0: Certainly. Well, I mean, growing up in Australia, John McCormack was a real inspiration to me, and he's someone I consider quite a good friend. And his uh, ability to outreach to the Australian community was very great, and obviously, he has an impact on artificial life artists the world over. So, I mean, big shout out to John here because I think the work that he has done for at least 15 years has certainly inspired people such as yourself and myself. So it's wonderful to have people like him in the community. In terms of the work group specifically, I have to apologize. I think I, I misintroduced you. Uh, there was a fellow with a similar name who was also on the work group, the nature of 40-plus people on the work group. But in terms of your coming to the work group, what was your broader interest?
3: Um, well, I I, I, uh, I wanted to volunteer in two different work groups, um, the f- the first one was the media outreach work group. Um, I have uh, an MFA in photography, and uh, I do a lot of design work uh, where I, where I work at. So I just I felt like um, possibly I could be useful in um, developing a lot of the, uh, the material that could be sent out, um, a lot of the graphic stuff, um, and also. Um, I wanted to volunteer in the teaching work group uh, mainly so that um, I would have uh, a good opportunity to um, talk to a lot of the academics that uh, uh, I would assume or presume to be in that work group, just to learn more from them and to just sort of really soak up uh, the knowledge that's out there. And
0: well, you have two you have two current academics on the line in terms of. Stephen and Larry, what what kind of questions would you have for them?
3: Well, um, uh, I I'm not quite sure which gentleman um, was speaking earlier, but he he had mentioned a class that he was te- he was teaching uh, for undergraduates that um, he was using a lot of seminal papers in information theory and yeah. things like that. I would love to to get a list of that or to get his curriculum or a syllabus so that I can uh, independently find those papers and uh read them on, on the subway cuz that's where I do a lot of my a lot of my uh reading is on the subway. I Understand? From work. If um let's say
1: perhaps uh I can use the work group for this. How's that, Tom? If I um That's the plan. Uh, put I think I've already put something on there with a link to information about the um the course and I can't remember exactly what's there. Let's see. Um academic teaching well, um, I'll I'll make sure that the work group has a link to um,
0: a web page that has all those references on it. Great. And so perhaps actually generating this kind of reading list would be a critical part of the the teaching special interest group anyway. So academics could share uh, resources, and particularly when we talk about the diversity of, of papers, even seminal papers, there you know there are probably three or four decent-sized courses alone that could touch on the seminal papers of artificial life going back in history and philosophy and in mathematics and computation. Oh, undoubtedly. So, I, so I think generating that kind of list on, on the uh, the workgroup's wiki uh, would be of great benefit just to, as you say, tickle the minds of other people that are, that are teaching artificial life-related courses about the potential of uh, seminal papers. It would be a nice resource. And I, I wanted to mention to Oliver...
1: Um, uh you have you run across Carl Sims's um not not the blocky creatures work which is wonderful in its own regard but his his specifically his evolving artwork? Yes, okay. Yes.
3: Yeah, that's uh I've I've read as much of his work as I can possibly find <laughs> on the web. Good. <laughs> Good plan.
1: <laughs> you know, I think that um was it Stephen the the, the 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 from Arizona from from um spin off of uh, SFI is that yeah. I, I missed the very beginning of the name, and I okay, good. I picked that up. Um, you mentioned that uh, one of your missions there is, is is art related, so I suspect that you have some uh, some things Oliver might be interested in.
2: So if you go to sfcomplex.org is kind of our um, our nonprofit art science and technology uh, kind of group. Uh, I think more on the technology side, uh, some of the tools that we're using, things might be of interest. Uh, processing.org is a free thing to download and mess with. Um mm-hmm. NetLogo actually has some basic visualization capabilities. It's really easy to get up and running with um you know you can get Game of Life for sure running in there, but all, all kinds of different uh agent-based uh toolkits and it's very good with students. Uh at the lower middle school level, uh you know, Star TNG is what we're we're teaching middle school students. Uh it's very approachable in a couple hours and it's a, a drag and composable block language out of MIT. So that's the, um is, is um, that the, uh, the scratch the scratch yeah, project, project that they're design. doing oh great cool cool and they moved it more into agent based modeling with um, with uh, 3d game characters so it's you know for that targeted at the middle uh, le- level then i think uh in general we're just also interested in more uh you know projectors and cameras and people interacting in spaces uh now uh, um you know um now and then starting to bring in more autonomous agents into that that space in with people? I worked <laughs> on a project uh, uh, with a,
1: uh, an artist uh, and musician at I- Indiana University, um, with Norbert Herber, and we did a, um, a project that was involved projection onto the ceiling of um, a, a, a flocking simulation, a nice, mm-hmm. simple algorithm we're all familiar with. Um, and it was just, it basically, by dark, completely darkening a little alcove, a little room um and black carpeting black uh, drapes on the walls, and then just having these things swarming on the ceiling, we put some pillows on the floor and made it uh, people actually seemed to really enjoy lying in there and uh, watching it and What I always thought was was intriguing about it was the the agents flying around were not remotely natural looking they were just little polygonal bodies, um, mm-hmm. and yet the motion. Was extremely organic and natural looking, and I think that contrast uh, sort of resonated with people. How could something so artificial be so natural? And um, it, it was a really fun project to work on. I, I did it just because I could, and and had a lot of fun with it. So I, I'm curious to see what you know what more things come out of that uh, p- projected environments using A life techniques.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. And I think people really respond, as you say, like the Carl Sims stuff is uh, going back to the blocky creatures. You know, they're, they're very much blocky, but the the motion itself is right, right. Very compelling. Yeah.
0: I think it's actually hard to find an artificial life simulation uh, which isn't, in some regard, relaxing. I mean, I've certainly spent a lot of time looking at Jeffrey Ventrella's work. I, I think the blockies are. Um, people say that they watch the noble eight brain simulation as a means of relaxation. I think there's something fundamentally—I don't know, you know—whether it's too out there with regards to brain, you know, waves or what have you. But I think there's something that's fundamentally relaxing about watching artificial light simulation.